The following program is brought to you with support from the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, allegations of conspiracy, countercharges of human rights violations, and also political drama, sanctions, and economic freefall. For any other country, that would equal crisis, but it's the new normal in Venezuela. We'll put our focus on the latest from Caracas in a moment. But first, the U.S. Congress moved to sanction Venezuela this week. We'll get details on that and more as Gabriela Conchola is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The White House is promising President Barack Obama will soon approve new economic sanctions aimed at members of Venezuela's government. The U.S. Congress passed the sanctions this week. The sanctions will deny visas and freeze assets of anyone tied to violence aimed at protesters in Venezuela this year. The president of Venezuela, Nicolás Maduro, condemned the sanctions in a national speech after the U.S. Senate approved the measure. Who is the United States Senate to sanction Boulevard's homeland? We do not accept insolent sanctions by imperialists. You should learn to respect Boulevard's country. The Venezuelan government has said at least 50 people on both sides of the political divide died in the protests that took place earlier this year. Uruguay accepted a half-dozen detainees from the infamous U.S. prison in Guantanamo this week for resettlement. The U.S. held the men captive at the prison on its naval base in Cuba as part of the war on terror for a dozen years. They were never charged with a crime. The six men from Syria, Tunisia, and the Palestinian territories were cleared to be freed in 2009, but no country would agree to accept them. Uruguay's President José Pepe Mojica negotiated with the U.S. to provide a safe haven for the detainees. Mojica is among world leaders pushing for the prison at the U.S. base to be closed. President Obama ordered the closure of the prison on his first day in office, but 142 prisoners remain. Although more than half have been cleared for release, the U.S. can't find countries that will accept some of the prisoners. The Peruvian government seeks to prosecute Greenpeace activists. Activists from Greenpeace placed a banner next to the massive ancient carvings on Peru's Nazca Plains. The activists were hoping to increase pressure regarding climate change on UN negotiators meeting in Peru. Instead, the Peruvian government was infuriated that a national landmark was defaced, calling the protest a slap to the face. Visits to Nazca are usually closely supervised. Greenpeace sent an apology to the people of Peru, stating they are willing to face reasonable consequences. The UN wrapped up its climate conference in Peru this week with various officials criticizing the process as slow and disappointing. Police helicopters found a huge swastika at the bottom of a pool in Brazil. Civil police were assisting in a kidnapping investigation by helicopter when they spotted the symbol. Authorities say no charges will be filed as the symbol is on private property and the owners are not outwardly promoting Nazism. The swastika has been at the bottom of the pool for 13 years now. The area is known for being home to many German and Austrian settlers. Organizations combating anti-Semitism condemned the inaction of Brazilian officials. For Latin Pulse, this is Gabriela Canchola. 
Thanks, Gabriella. Our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in the United Kingdom, the UK. Our British listeners came in third this past month behind our listening audiences in the US and Brazil. So we send out our thanks across the Atlantic to our British listeners. And now back to our special focus on Venezuela. A poll released this week shows only about a quarter of Venezuela's voters support President Nicolas Maduro, his lowest rating yet. Additionally, the poll from Venezuelan firm Data Analysis shows 85% of those polled feel the country is now on the wrong track. A controversial and extremely close election brought Maduro to power in 2013, an election to replace charismatic leader Hugo Chavez. And this year, Maduro has weathered a violent protest movement, shortages of consumer goods, and tumbling oil prices. Human rights groups such as Amnesty International and the United Nations have criticized the Maduro government for jailing opposition leader Leopoldo Lopez. Many consider Lopez a political prisoner and denounce his jailing as a human rights violation. In addition, last week, Venezuelan prosecutors began hearings into conspiracy charges against another opposition leader, Maria Corina Machado. For an analysis of these cases, we reached out to Alejandro Velasco at New York University. Velasco is the author of the forthcoming book, Barrio Rising, Urban Popular Politics and the Making of Modern Venezuela. We reached him via Skype in New York City. And of note, you may be able to hear New York's busy traffic in the background. When we talked to you last year, you said that the politics of Venezuela were about to enter a very fragile and vulnerable period. And the question of whether there's a, a real working democracy in Venezuela has put put on the table by many people. How would you gauge the situation now? And you think partly it has to do, and this isn't really a semantic question, I think this is a question that's um, marking Venezuela's place in Latin America more broadly over the last 15 years. Um, and the question is really what we understand by democracy, right? I mean, if we're thinking about a, a sort of Madisonian um, democracy with um, equally powerful institutions that check each other and are autonomous each from the other, that is not Venezuela at all. And it hasn't been for a very long time. Um, yeah, but I think that you know, the question that has been put in place, or at least that has been put on the on the table, um, not just in Venezuela, but other parts of Latin America, is what we really understand by democracy, right? So in the case of Venezuela, it's a far more plebiscitary democracy, far more direct forms of democracy where sort of there aren't any very um, robust institutional mediators. And what we've seen, of course, is that in moments when there's a strong leader, um, that kind of democracy does tend to speak very um, powerfully to sectors of the population that felt themselves to be disempowered before. What it doesn't do is provide any kind of stability once that leadership figure um, is gone, right? And so that's where um, you're seeing some of the, the problems currently. Factions within Chavismo, factions within the opposition, factions within popular sectors, really um, trying to figure out a space in this institutional vacuum, in this sort of institutional abyss, for some sort of accommodation um, in, in as they navigate this very tense um, uh, economic and political landscape, right? So 
Um, so, you know, is, is Venezuela a functioning democracy? It's certainly not a functioning, um, uh, you know, Madisonian democracy, but it's, it's a democracy insofar as, you know, people um, are very active and involved in their day-to-day affairs and seeking out accountability from the government, just not doing so through institutional channels because those institutional channels, whether you're a pro-government or, um, or opposition, have really, um, have really been eroded, not just over the last 50 years, but long before that as well, right? So it's, I think the question here is what we understand by democracy, um, more so than whether or not Venezuela is or isn't one. Venezuela really finds itself at a critical moment in terms of its economy, in terms of its politics. It's bound up in what has been, to some extent, quite a surprising and very sudden um, drop, really a collapse of the world oil market, which, of course, uh, very closely um, links uh, Venezuela's economic fortunes. But even before that, what you'd had, of course, earlier this year was a political crisis stemming from months of street protests by some radical sectors in the opposition, but also mainstream sectors really felt themselves completely marginalized from the political process. Um, and that had really paralyzed the country for for four months for better part of the uh, for the better part of the first half of the of the year. And what that really did for um, the political constituency and the base of the, the government support, um, Chavismo, especially in terms of Maduro's weak leadership after um, having taken over for Chavez after following his death, was really delay um, some significant reforms um, that he needed and continues to really need to take in order to make sure that some of these economic problems that are spiraling very much out of control don't affect the electoral chances of the Chavista coalition heading into the elections, um, regional elections happening in December of next year. And so uh, you know, I'll, I'll told a really fine, especially in terms of like polling data and others, a significant drop in the popularity of not just Maduro, but Chavismo in general. And that ties directly to these economic problems that the country is facing. We've been talking here a bit about economics and how those affect politics. I'm, I'm, would like to also talk about justice and how that affects politics. Uh, there has been the jailing of the main, one of the main opposition leaders, uh, Leopoldo Lopez, in the past year related to those street protests that you referenced, and some, like Amnesty International, the UN, and other human rights groups have pointed to his um, imprisonment and ongoing trial as um, as something that points to the weakness of the justice system in Venezuela, and some argue now that there is a, that this case really undercuts the image of Venezuela as a democracy. Well, I think that there are very legitimate um, critiques to be levied, not just around this particular case, but around the politicization of the legal system in Venezuela more broadly. Um, I think that those um, critiques have been um, have been longstanding, though, and they're they're not recent. Um, to some extent, I've been surprised that they have taken on this level of urgency around the figure of Leopoldo Lopez, um, and also more recently, um, Maria Corina Machado, who was also um, a deputy in the National Assembly. She was stripped of her um, of her title precisely for, at least the allegations are, having um, uh, spearheaded, not the protests themselves, but the more radical elements of the protests that um, over the, the course of those four months saw uh, a loss of life of you know 44 people. Um, and so 
I think that the the critiques about the um, the politicization of the legal system in Venezuela are completely well founded. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, Leopoldo Lopez's case, I think, has been emblematic of some of those critiques. And yet, at the same time, there are very strong. Um, at least from my perspective, the reasons to think that it's not, um, that at least in Leopoldo Lopez's case, it's not just a simple matter of um, sort of politicization of the legal system. There are also really strong, um, really strong charges to be to be levied surrounding those protests, right? So, um, interestingly, what's been happening around this case is that even though it has presented a problem internationally for the government, it's one of the few areas in which um, the the base of Chavismo, and even some um, ninis, people who don't align themselves closely with Chavismo or the opposition, have really seen this as a matter of um, of justice, right? That people need to be held accountable for the protests that happened over the you know, the first half of the of the year, and so this has buoyed to some extent um, domestically um, the government, while economically um, the situation has been really uh, dramatic. In this particular case. Leopoldo Lopez, uh, the the exact charges uh, have to do with arson and and him taking responsibility as the leader of some of those protests for some of the violence that happened at those protests. And I think that's where some of the questions come in. How tenuous is it to to tie the the leader of what started as a peaceful protest to violence that may not be directly tied to to his um, orations during those violent those violent outbursts. Yeah, I think so. The charges are instigation to violence, which is a um, is, is a is a charge that is on the books in most parts of the world, and it's used in very um, loose ways, especially when the you know justice systems are as politicized as they are in Venezuela. You mentioned the case of Marina Cor- Maria, Corina Corchado and Maria Corina Machado, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering. In, in her particular case, the government has accused her of being tied to a plot to assassinate President Maduro and has produced uh, numerous emails or lots of questions about whether those emails um, have been concocted by hackers or if they are, mm-hmm. or if they are real. Uh, there is a long history of these sorts of mm-hmm. accusations of, of, of plots to kill not just President Maduro, but dating back into the Chavez era. And so I'm, I'm wondering, too, how this plays to the international audience that, that takes a look at Venezuela. I think internationally it looks very bad. I think what it looks like is, again, a government that is um, uh, doing extremely poorly domestically and needs to rally its base, and it's going to do so by... Um, concocting charges that have very tenuous um, have a very tenuous evidentiary base, um, but nevertheless serves the purpose to um, you know to get some of the more hardcore supporters of Chavismo to um, you know to understand and to sort of heart um, to deepen in their sense that this is really a struggle for survival, and so you know this is the reason why Chavez um, you know made these allegations throughout his tenure, and it's all not surprising at all that Maduro would be doing it at the same time. Um, you know, I think the one of the interesting things and something that I've been hearing from, from friends and, um, and others in Venezuela, you know, from both the government and the opposition is that, you know, the, 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 the issue here is of 
um, you know, certain sectors in the opposition, radical sectors who, you know, want to get rid of the government. And, you know, to some extent, of course, this, this is the tradition of Chavez. Chavez, of course, um, undertook a coup in 1992. And so the notion of an insurgency or at least an insurrection um, uh, isn't dramatically outside of the fold, not just of Chavista history, but of Venezuelan history more broadly. I think the issue that rankles domestically is um, that in Chavez's case, of course, in '92, the major, um, you know, his major uh, appeal, his major, the reason why people sort of drew inspiration to him um, was that he took responsibility for that, um, and then, of course, he served time in jail until he was pardoned. Um, and there's a sense by which, you know, to some sectors in in, in the streets of Venezuela, the idea is, you know, admit and own the fact that what you're trying to do is um, is overthrow the government and do so in a way that takes responsibility for those actions rather than tries to cast them in some sort of light of um, that you know that it may not be um, that they may not be under and so you know that's where the that's where some of the the tension lies right the um, the distance between the professed act actions or the professed goals and the extent to which there isn't really responsibility being taken for those. That's what sort of um, seems to stand against the, the tradition of Venezuela to, you know, in terms of having these insurrectional movements. Couldn't the same be said on the other side, that the opposition could point the finger at the government and say that their couching of what they do is not always in, in the most sincere way? Especially not sincere, because, of course, they can always say, look, Chavez did the same thing. Um, and uh, and we are holding fast to our principles, right? So, you know, there's an inversal of codes, there's an inversal of discourses. Um, and just to tie to what we were talking about earlier, you know, one of the things that I've long said about Venezuela, and I think more and more people are coming around to it, is that what is revolutionary about the Bolivarian Revolution is not at all does not at all have to do with socialism. Um, what is revolutionary about uh, about what Chavez um, started in 1999 was vindicating or bringing to the fold far more clearly than anyone had in the past um, the visibility and role of popular sectors and their need really to be attended to and responded to by the government. Right. So that's that's what's really revolutionary in the case of Venezuela. Thank you so much. I'll Alejandro Velasco of New York University, the author of the forthcoming book, Barrio Rising, Urban Popular Politics and the Making of Modern Venezuela, our guest today again on Latin Pulse. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate it. This planet we call Earth, abundant with new food, new cures, new life, an amazing place. Please don't let it vanish without a trace. Call for your free World Wildlife Fund Action Kit with 10 simple things you can do to help leave our children a living planet. Call 1-800-C-A-L-L-W-W-F. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. As we heard earlier in this program, the U.S. Congress moved this week to sanction members of the Venezuelan government who may have violated the human rights of protesters in that country. We spoke to Dan Hellinger about the current state of Venezuelan politics. Hellinger is the co-editor of the book, Bolivarian Democracy in Venezuela, Participation, Politics, and Culture. Hellinger is on the board of the Center for Democracy in the Americas in Washington, and he's a professor at Webster University. We spoke to him on location near his office at the university. Hellinger believes opposition politicians in Venezuela have been maneuvering for months to get the U.S. to bring sanctions 
on the Venezuelan government. Well, you know, that the uh, groups like the Human Rights Watch have been very critical of the Venezuelans on this. Um, it's very hard to judge without seeing the evidence. My gut is that A, Lopez, and more, more recently, Maria Corinda Machado, another opposition leader, uh, was arrested, have basically been very coy. What they've done in the case of Lopez, what he did was he encouraged the violence of last February by basically repeatedly saying that, the, that he wants the, a salida, an exit of the government. He actually called for the whole government to leave. And he did this in the context of violence. And I think rather than as uh, some of the other opposition leaders, including Enrique Capriles, the, the, the candidate who, uh, in the last elections, of sort of calling for some sort of sitting at the table and working things through the government, he split. And he's, and Lopez saw Capriles. This is as much aimed at Capriles as Maduro because he puts, uh, by being in jail, it creates a sort of martyr image and doesn't pre and prevents Capriles from really doing anything to sort of work with the government. So I, I think Lopez is playing the martyr game here. I also suspect that the, I don't have enough confidence in the judicial process to think that the government would actually give him a trial based on the facts. They're going to give him a trial based on the supposition. Same thing with Maria Karina Machado. I have a better handle on this because she's, she was now just... those are new charges from last week. Yeah, sure. those are new charges from last week. And specifically, the government released an email it says they intercepted, which obviously means eavesdropping on her. And the email, she's talking with um, Colombian and also Neopolis in the United States about Maduro is so weak, now is the time to annihilate him. The government is interpreting annihilate as meaning this is a conspiracy to assassinate um, uh, Maduro. So that's the evidence uh, so far that we see. Well, if you look at that, Anilier could mean a lot of different things, right? And it's also very coy on her part. I mean, essentially, what she's doing is appealing to people outside of Venezuela, including people in Washington, to back her and saying, hey, look, Maduro is so weak, let's really turn up the pressure. Sanctions, for example, right? So the Venezuelan government has every reason to see her as part of a disloyal opposition. Lopez also, I think, is part of a disloyal opposition. Capriles tries to straddle both sides. He also wants Maduro to leave because that might open the door for him to run again, but he's being at least more moderate and temperate in what he says. So I think what the government is doing is trying to show the disloyal opposition, look, you can't just get away with conspiring with people like Uribe, the extreme right-wing former governor of uh, gov uh, president of, of Colombia and with some of the more extreme voices in Washington to try to bring down Maduro. If you do that, we're going to arrest you and prosecute you. That's my interpretation of what's going on here. And essentially what they've done, and I think Capriles realizes this, is this alienates the, the, those Venezuelans who might be upset enough and disenchanted enough with Maduro not to vote for the, for the Chavistas in next year's National Assembly elections and down the line in other elections, but it alienates them. 
And yes, you can say the government is playing the populist card, is playing the anti-imperialist card to get their support. That may be true, but it almost seems as though Machado and Lopez are doing everything they can to make it easy for the government to do it. Let's deal with the Lopez case. In that case, there have been um, accusations from his defense team that he hasn't been able to present the evidence that would that would free him. Um, there have been criticisms, as you said, from Human Rights yeah. Watch, although many people see those as political criticisms, um, but yet also other groups that are a little bit more neutral, Amnesty International, right. the UN, have weighed in and said, look, he's really now a political prisoner. He's not getting fair treatment in yeah. the justice system. You know, his lawyer is saying that he's going to be released sometime before Christmas. It could very well be that what the government is doing is is feeling the government may feel we made our point and release him in the interest of some of trying to have some sort of dialogue with the opposition because I do think that that one of the reasons why Maduro is holding off on devaluation and some other economic packages is the hope that he might be able to get some elements of the opposition to be supportive. I mean, the the street protests that I'm just going to say outright Lopez supported, he doesn't you know, he claims, of course, that he didn't support violence, but I think, I think that's his timing and the way he spoke makes us think that yeah, he was happy to see this kind of violence erupt. I, I think that you know the moderate opposition realizes, hey, you know, the, that that we have a chance here to really make a breakthrough in the elections, and we'll see what happens next year uh, when they have the national assembly elections. Any other points you'd like to make about the current state of Venezuelan politics? <laughs> I wish I could be more optimistic. I think um, I love Venezuela. I love the Venezuelan people. I don't really feel very good about the opposition coming back in the power and gutting the kinds of programs that have uh, made a real difference in the lives of Venezuelans. Is, um, is that realistic any time in the next two years? Yeah, it's a possibility. Um, it could, and, and that, that's what's disturbing about Venezuelan politics. The fact that it is so unpredictable is exactly what makes me somewhat pessimistic. It's not that I necessarily think there'll be a military coup or necessarily think that the PSUV is destined to lose regardless because I think people don't have a, I think, a, I think there are very few Venezuelans that have a lot of faith in the opposition either. And the opposition itself is divided. So you've got extremists like uh, Maria Corina Machado, uh, really Leopoldo Lopez in a lot of ways, who I think would like to provoke a military coup. They want the government out. And then you have more moderate sectors of the opposition that think that'll just play into the hands of the government. And they feel pretty optimistic about their ability to almost by default win an election given the low and ultimately recall Maduro, given his, his low popularity. The leader of the National Assembly of the PSUV, the United Socialist Party of Venezuela, um, is a man named Cabello, who um, is an um, ex-military officer. And if anybody would be a kind of a strong man for Bolivarianism, for Chavismo, <clears throat> in the National Assembly, it would be him. He might be the sort of person that, if the country were to descend into chaos, he might be the sort of person that a faction of the military m might unite around. Uh, he might have, uh, there's no other figure that I know of that has that popularity to emerge as a leader in kind of a military coup in the event that particular faction of officers. Now we're speculating though, and you know, all is not lost in Venezuela. 
Um, and there will be elections next year, and there's, they still do have oil. I mean, they're not losing money on oil. You know, it's, it's, and I, I think there's, um, there's a lot of elements within the civilian population. There's a group called Marea Socialista, the socialist tide, that um, is trying to hold the government and p figures like uh, Cabello to the, their feet to the fire. And they're, on the one hand, they're more immoderate, they're more revolutionary in their attitudes, so they're less likely to be supportive of some sort of a pact between the opposition and the government. But on the other hand, they're also the grassroots. They're also the people that are working in these missions. They're the people who are really dedicated, not just to Chavez's memory, but to the things that Chavez stood for. They're not likely to easily stand for either the opposition or somebody like Cabello simply coming in and trying to uh, you know, create a strongman government. Thank you so much, Dan Hellinger of Webster University and the Center for Democracy in the Americas, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thank you for inviting me. That concludes our program with a special focus on Venezuela. We'll be hearing more from these experts again early next year. Also, a special thanks to Professor Celine Hong, and her social media class at Webster University. Students in that class have served as this program's social media team for the past month. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Mini Mundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email you can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, producer Jim Singer and associate producer Gabriela Canchola, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support from Webster University and through the support of Link TV. This program is copyright 2014, Los Rocas Productions. The preceding program was brought to you with the support of the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University.